Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. Well, I have a question as we start today, and the question is, who determines who you are? Who determines your identity? Who determines what you feel or what you say about yourself? Uh, the, the title is, Who Are You? And I think we're so defined by our culture, by our world, by people, by our past, by our performance. Ronald Reagan, some of you remember President Ronald Reagan. He stood up at a commencement speech for his graduating class from his alma mater, and he said, just imagine where I'd be today had I gotten better grades in college. He goes, I barely passed my courses here, and I could have been defined by my achievements, by my grades. But he's standing there as the President of the United States. Amazing. I wonder how many politicians today are defining themselves by their recent loss, because not everybody who was on the ballot can win. Their whole life was summarized by the little circles that we made, the little areas we filled in. I know some local politicians who've run numerous of times, and, and they've not won yet. I wonder how they feel today. Who gets to define you? Do you are you defined by your events? Are you defined by uh, your possessions? Are you defined by your grades or your athletics? Are you defined by how many kids you have, if you're a, a parent, or, or, or how much money is in your bank account? Are you defined by the stuff you've collected in the storage unit that you rent? John Ortberg, um, pastor and author, writes, God isn't at work producing the circumstances you want, but God is at work in all things producing the you that he wants. God is always shaping us and forming us. And isn't it interesting, when we talk about identity, some of you will remember that whenever I bring up the subject of identity, I always bring up the story of Jesus, where he's out in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, he's fasting, and the devil comes. Evil itself comes to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Interesting. Now, you and I know that Jesus is a part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. And we all know that it was just prior to this that Jesus Christ was baptized in the Jordan River, and he comes out of the river, and God speaks from heaven, you are my beloved Son. God labeled Jesus. And 40 days later, the devil challenges what God has said. I, I'm here to tell you that the devil knows no other way except to be an accuser. That lies that he lives inside of, or our past that screams at us, tries to define who we are. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4. It is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on 
every word. In other words, let me paraphrase, that we're to live on every statement that God makes about who we are. If God says you're free, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, then you're free. I don't feel very free. Sorry. Don't base your life on your feelings. If you base your life on your feelings, you're going to have problems. I'm sure there's not anybody in this service, it was probably last service or the next service, who has something we would call a mood swings. None of you ever. You're always up there, man. Right? Positive, happy, everything. you're, You're never defeated or drained or discouraged or depressed. But if you were, you could stop for a moment and say, I choose to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. See, in your notes, if you get them out, faith is the embrace of all that God has said. That's what faith is. Faith is more than a feeling. Faith is more than a fleeting thought. Faith is the embrace of everything that God has said. Things like this. In this world, you'll have trouble and trials and tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. See, we can be of good cheer, not because some positive motivational speaker said, be of good cheer, but we can be of good cheer because that's what Jesus has said to us. God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's something that we can embrace. That's what faith does. So in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul, the apostle, is writing to this church. He was there for uh, about two years, and he's writing after about seven and eight years since he's been there, and he's recognizing that the people at Ephesus are forgetting who they are in Christ. They're forgetting it. It's easy for life to kind of leak out who we are in Christ. Something bad can happen to you. Imagine someone... Uh, to the south of us or to the north of us, and all of a sudden they see on the news. The news actually shows this sometimes. It boggles my mind. We're at 117 Briarwood Avenue, and here's a house totally involved in flame, and they're in a shelter watching the news. Hello? It's one thing to have someone come and tell you, a a firefighter or a, a shelter worker or law enforcement Remember, with a chaplain in tow to, to kneel beside you and tell you lost shot. But it's another thing to watch it being burned down in the moment. I, I never could fathom why we do that psychologically, but I'm not a psychologist. I'm just a pastor. What would I know? But I know that that family can define their lives and their future by the loss of everything they possess, especially the person who recognizes they didn't have insurance. And that always happens in the state of California. Why would you live in our state? But then again, why would you live in Oklahoma or anywhere else where there's tornadoes? And her? Why would you live in Florida with hurricanes and not have insurance? I don't know. I don't know. But let me get back to the sermon. <laughs> Christ gets to define us. And in Christ, you are not who you were. In other words, your family of origin or your sins, we call it B.C., before Christ, don't define you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24 says, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, how you think, and put on the 
the new self. Listen, if you're the same old you that you've always been, get over it. Hello? Hello? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That was the alarm telling me to hurry up. (laughs) See, Christ can make us new. What did God say about you? What did God say? Well, let me me tell you what he said. Uh, Number two, that you're holy and blameless. Ephesians 1, 4. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in your sight. Does anybody want to argue with God about this? I don't. And I'm raising my hand. I've done some stuff where I'm to blame. I've done some stuff in my life that's unholy. I know no one else wants to admit it, but I've got both my hands up, and I'd raise both my feet if I could. But in God's sight, we're holy and blameless. I mean, we should be celebrating and singing. That's why we sing around here. We're holy and blameless. That's how he sees us. Now, don't argue with God's eyesight. In his sight, we are holy and blameless. And I ask you this question, whose sight matters most? Somebody that looked at you and said, oh, you look really good. You've lost weight. You look really healthy. Wow. Or the reverse. Oh, you're gaining weight. You look horrible. Wow. Right? Huh? Whose sight matters the most? And you answered it correctly, God. Uh, See yourself as God sees you. And number three, in Christ, you're chosen and adopted. God decided in advance, Ephesians 1, 5, to adopt us into his own family. See, new family of origin. I know, but I got my ancestry.com. I'm all in it. God bless you. No, no, that's good. That's good. But if you find out your ancestors were horrible. Yeah, this one lady found out that she was related to Al Capone. And she had ties to the mafia. And her grandfather, her great-grandfather was a hitman and killed people. And then she looked up the articles about him. I said, no, 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 that's not such your father and grandfather. You're, You're connected to God. No, I got my results. She was so depressed over her results. I said, well, you're reading the wrong results. You should start reading these. Are you saying, pastor, we should look? I didn't say that. But if your ancestors, well, by the way, if you do your ancestry.com, I could save you lots of money. You're all connected to Adam and Eve. They were the first ones, and they screwed up. Oh, my ancestors were wealthy people, well-to-do folk. Okay, you go right ahead with that. Yeah. All I know is that God chose to adopt anybody, not because they came to church, but because they came to Christ. And he decided in advance to adopt you. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great, great, great pleasure. See, the Ephesians were told they were illegitimate. That only the Jews had the right to come to Christ. And the Ephesians were told, you're second class. And Paul speaks to them and says, wait a minute. God chose to adopt you into his family. So everything that Jesus gets, you get. You're a 
co-heir. See, what God says about us matters most of all. And some of you may feel abandoned or rejected, and it was prayed that none of our veterans would feel left out. But I met a guy at the veteran stand-down where we were serving, and he said, you know, when I came home, there were no flags. (laughs) There was no one at the airport. I got off the plane, and I took a taxi, and I went to stay with my grandmother, and and I, I feel like I've been abandoned, and I've served faithfully. Or maybe you were rejected by a church. Maybe you were abandoned by your church. Maybe you were abandoned by a family. Maybe, maybe somebody didn't see your gifts or your goodness or your abilities. But see, here's what God says. I've adopted you and allow you now to gain all the rights to the kingdom. In other words, no one's ever pushed away from God. We can run into his throne. We can run into his presence. Ephesians 2.13 says, now you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, some of you know who you are. You were really far away. Yeah. But now you've been brought where? Near to him through the blood of Christ. And number four, many of you know this. You don't like this, but you're a masterpiece. You have a hard time with it. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. Would you turn to your neighbor on your right, left, front, or behind, and just look at their eyes and say, you're a masterpiece. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You're a masterpiece. Now, some of you Some of you, when someone said that to you, you're a masterpiece, you go in your heart, I know you're lying. (laughs) Yeah, you're a masterpiece. I looked in the mirror this morning, I flexed my muscles. (laughs) No, I have muscles, you just can't see all of them. Yeah. You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. That's how God sees you. So who gets to define you? Whose view matters the most? Whose sights matters the most? See, don't use the past as an excuse to miss out on your future. Lots of people do that. Well, my past. I say this a lot around here. This is now a staple phrase. Don't allow your past trauma to become your present day drama. There's all kinds of drama going on in our world, still going on. If you allow your past to determine your future, you are sunk. If you allow your past grades to determine your future, academia, you're sunk. If you allow your past poor financial decisions to determine your future budget and how you're going to run your life financially, you're sunk. And if you're married and you allow your past performance as a spouse to determine what your future marriage is going to be like, you'll just resign and say, yep, we're destined to be roommates We've fallen out of love. We just eat together. Good morning, good morning, dear. How are you? Fine, fine. I watch what I want. She watches what, she, what he wants. and We just go our separate ways. No, 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 no. You can fall in love again. God can give you that, the help to do that. If you allow your past to determine your future, you're sunk. And Jesus Christ is standing right there saying, man, I can give you an incredible future. 
We have a great verse here, Jeremiah 29, 11. We use it all the time that he comes to give us hope, future, and expected end. He has something more for us. And if you just want to say, well, I'm just going to resign the fact I'll always be like this, get over it. You can triumph through Christ. You can have the Word of God, the Bible, be a part of your life. You can get into a small group. You can find some Christian friends who will hold you accountable, and you, you can get moving. You can become the best version of yourself through Christ and His power and the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, I'll always be like this. <laughs> you know? Who said that? You don't have to be. See, when we understand who we are in God's eyes, it breaks the power of what others say or think about us. It breaks the power of that. I have to tell you, just allow me to ride a hobby horse. All hobby horses only go downhill, but let me ride it for a few seconds. I get tired of labels. We label everybody. I mean, we label people. And I think we need to peel those labels off and let God speak a word into people's hearts. We need to speak a word as his body, the body of Christ, to people that feel uh, disconnected or disenfranchised and tell them, hey, God has a plan for your life. There, there's, 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 there's hope for you. There's healing for you. There's power in the name of Christ. Well, my son's an addict. He'll always be an addict. He'll always be an addict. I wouldn't say that. Why not say, I know he can get better if he chooses to and if he allows God to help him? That's just changing this, not more than semantics, it's changing your heart and, and your feeling about it. And we have to get rid of the fear of what other people say or think about us. And especially our young people, man, the pressure that they have today, the pressure that they feel. When, when, you, when you look in the eyes of someone and you say, man, you're important. You matter. It's so great. It's so great. I'm tempted to tell you all the stories of all the people that over the years poured into my life, but let me just summarize it in one statement. There are people who believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. There were teachers and coaches that saw stuff in me when they said, oh, you're so wonderful. I looked around like, who are you talking to? When my fifth grade teacher said, you're a leader, that was like prophetic. You will lead many. I go, really? I got like two friends. <laughs> I'm not even sure if they like me, you know what I mean? And she, said, and she said these words, you're one of the finest students I ever had. I was barely passing in the fifth grade. And I thought, you're a liar, lady. <laughs> you're one of the finest students. Huh. See, we can push kids out. We can push students out, or we can push them up. We can lift them up. We, we, we have an option to do that. We can speak a word to people that can change how they feel about themselves. You know, uh, we can tear down in seconds with our words what God's taken years to build in the life of someone. I love number five. We're loved by God. We're loved by God because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us, come on, alive with Oh, next verse, yeah. Alive with Christ, even when we were dead in. Yeah, for by grace we have been saved. God has this ability to break the stagnation. Now, um, I, I, I love this next verse, Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. And if it's up there, we're going to read it with our best 10, 11 voice. Here we go. 
And may you have, as all God's people, how wide and long and high and how deep his love is, may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then, ah, you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. I love this. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to understand something that cannot be understood. <laughs> I want you to experience something that's so wide and deep and high and, and vast. It's amazing. I want you to experience his love for you. Yesterday, I saw five soccer matches. My granddaughter was in three, and then I went and saw Cody Betchel. Uh, Scott, our youth pastor, was the coach. I thought that was so cool. Boy, he did a fine job coaching. Man, I'm so proud of him. And I went and saw Cody's team, and I went and saw my granddaughter Kylie's team, and five soccer games. So I'm soccered out. Yeah, yeah. What I watched was parents and grandparents. I just love, I love to study people, and I was watching this one lady, and she was screaming for her little mijo. I mean, she's, he's so awesome. He runs down. The ball is next to him. He runs the other way. The ball is still there. The opponent got the ball. Yay, mijo! I thought, lady, you're nuts. And she turned around, and, I, and I'm, I'm not being facetious. She, she turned around to someone that was there. Doesn't he look cute in his uniform? <laughs> he looks so cute. But he can't kick the ball, lady. She's screaming, yay, yay, yay. Oh, my goodness. How silly. <laughs> oh, no. How wonderful. That little boy. You know, he got snacks with all the other kids, and that's, that's fine. But man, his mama was so excited to see her boy playing. But that's God. You woke up this morning, yay! Yay! He saw you walk in church, yay! He's watching you not pay attention to me, yay! <laughs> he understands. He, gets to, he has to listen to me three times today. Yeah, poor God. Sorry, Lord. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. I love what Paul said. I want you to understand the love of God. See, all that Paul is sharing is the truest thing about you. About four years ago, I shared with you as a church, if you were here, from David Lomas's book about our identity. And he said your identity is derived by what you believe to be the truest thing about you. Moses believed the truest thing about himself was that he was a stutterer. God said, I want to use you, Moses. Moses, well, you've you got to find somebody else because I stutter. By the way, Moses was labeled speech impediment. Abraham, I want to use you, Abraham, and through you and your wife, you're going to have offspring, as many as the sands of the seashore. And Abraham looked at his present reality and said, I'm really old. And Sarah's not foxy anymore. <laughs> she stopped being hot a long time ago. And by the way, when she was hot, she was barren. Here's, here's what Abraham said to God. Let me just tell you, you have the wrong couple. They were labeled old and barren. 
But see, God speaks through the labels and says, I have something for you. Don't argue with me. See, if you believe the truest thing about yourself is other than what God has said, you will always live beneath the call that God has on your life. That's why PhDs feel that they're stupid. That's the truest thing. Successful corporate executives, presidents, and CEOs feel like, well, I'm not smart enough. That's why skinny women feel fat. That's why muscular men like myself feel like they need more muscles. But look at the list from Ephesians that we've just been through. Keep it with you. Mark these verses because you will find people with amazing talents and gifts who do not even serve their neighbor because they don't think their gift is worthy enough or powerful enough or they're afraid of being rejected. We believe that our gifts wouldn't matter or our little financial contribution could never be enough. Or people wonder if going back to school will matter. I'll probably fail if I go back. I'm kind of rusty now. The truest thing about you is not that you were addicted, evicted, conflicted, or convicted. (laughs) I won't say it again. If you believe who you are is who you were, then you'll always do what you always did. Uh, We'll have to read that twice. If you believe who you are is who you were, then you'll always do what you always did. I I won't take long. I I spoke to a a couple recently, and and, uh, they believe all the lies that the tempter has told them. Almost to the point where the gentleman said, I don't think, listen to this, I don't think the Lord could save me. I'm unsavable. And his wife said, that's true. (laughs) He is. And I love just how Jesus says, I will save anyone. Whosoever will may come to me. For God so loved the world that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's true. But they believe that he is unredeemable, unsalvageable, unsavable. And if you believe the truest thing about you is that, then you'll never embrace God's grace. Your identity is shaped by what you believe the most important person in your life believes about you. If you were here about four years ago, I shared that statement with you. And it bears repeating. Who gets to speak into your life? Who's the most important person in your your life? Well, my boss, my commander, my teacher, my wife, happy wife, happy life. Well, I pity the man who says that and his wife's never happy. Nothing makes her happy. Huh? And so he walks away saying, well, I guess I don't have what it takes to be her man, I, I just don't have the goods. But see, your identity is shaped by what you believe the most important person in your life believes about you. Hey, by the way, who's the most important person in your life, honestly? And we'll all say God, but it may not be true Wednesday at 2 o'clock. Huh? Lord, I heard what they said, but I know what you, you say about me. I heard what they said, but I know what you believe about me, Zephaniah 317. This should be your memory verse this week. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. We sing that song too. 
He'll take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. And he will stand on the sideline of the game of your life. That's my kid. Oh, yeah, joyful singing. He will sing songs from the sideline and say, you're awesome. You wear the uniform so well. <laughs> but, Lord, I missed the ball. I don't care. You miss it like no one else I know. I told my granddaughter as she was going off the field, I said, Kylie, of all the soccer players in the world, you're my favorite. <laughs> now, I can say that because my grandson's not playing soccer this season. <laughs> but they know, I've said this since they were born. Of all the kids in the world, there's not two other kids that I want to be my grandchildren than you, Peyton and Kylie. Wow. Oh, when she stands up here with the Christmas program, they're working on it. I, I, I've been watching the rehearsals, and she sings her song. <laughs> I know her parents will be proud. I know her grandma and grandpa that will come and visit will be proud, but there will be no one. I'm sorry. Prouder than me and my wife. We would have, that's, I, you know. Oh, by the way, if she hit a wrong note or got a little pitchy, you think I'll be like a Simon Cowell or somebody? Well, she's a little pitchy. No, man. That's my granddaughter. And see, this is the way God sees you. And some of you need a little encouragement today. You need to be pumped up just a little bit to know that God rejoices over you. He's incredibly in love with you. And if Christ Jesus would stand right here today, he would say, I love you so much that I would die for you again if I had to. Your identity is in what Jesus did for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you did not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. Let that be your label today. So only God has the right to label you. Only God. And unless and until you know who you are, you will be vulnerable to what others say about you. Teach that to your kids. Parents, grandparents. Unless and until you know who God says you are, you'll be vulnerable to what the enemy says about you. And unless and until you can live beyond guilt and shame, your greatest contributions will be minimized because you will never feel that you're good enough to give anything, to do anything. Every religious system offers a solution for sin. But only one person ever stepped forward to say, I'm the solution for your sin. And his name is Jesus. Study it. Study the, the other religions. They all have a solution for sins. Things that you have to do. Prayers you have to pray. Things that you have to give. Places you have to walk. But Jesus says, wait a minute. I'm the solution for your sin. This morning, as we conclude, we're going to be served communion. And I want to take this communion meal. And ushers, if you'd come ahead, I think you guys are ready with communion. They're going to serve you the bread and the cup. I want you to hold it until uh, we all can eat together. And uh, Tyler will lead us in a song in just a moment. But here's what I want you to think about. This meal, this table is different. This table of the Lord isn't where sinners find Christ. 
but where sinners celebrate being found. That Jesus Christ has come to give us his life and we're found in the bread and in the cup the message of Jesus who said every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember me until I return. Thank God that he's forgiven us. Thank God that he found us. Thank God that in Christ Jesus, we are who he says we are. And we can declare it through this song, I am who he says I am. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let that be your label today. Washed in the blood of Jesus. Forgiven because of the body of Christ. That's what the, re- the bread represents. His body that was placed on a cross for you. And the cup represents the blood. We are forgiven. We have found our place to be forgiven because Jesus has found us. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I encourage you today to call upon him, to make him your Lord, to to say to him, Father, I need your Son, the Savior. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me, that you paid my debt, that you lifted my sins and carried them away. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I confess you as Lord. Save me. Save me. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.